glad to have Jill Burt from Perth with us today, and we're going to be talking about the ideas of hope and the ideas of God making a way where traditional answers don't give away. So thanks, Jill, for joining us. It's good to be with you, Dave. Thank you. It's really good. Jill is a, one of our outstanding leaders in Praxis. Uh, she operates our, our teams in Perth and Western Australia. And I've had a great joy of knowing Jill. I respect her deeply and I love what I see coming out of her life. But Jill, it hasn't always seemed like that for you. Um, tell us a little bit about your story and um, some of the, the real wrestles that you've had to go through to get to this stage. Yeah, um, with my late husband, Peter, uh, we worked in Southeast Asia for a decade amongst a people group where there'd been an amazing uh, work of God's spirit and hundreds, even thousands of people met Jesus. And so we were able to go and help train leaders in that situation. Uh, Peter got hold of uh, some writings by a guy called George Patterson, and uh, George was foundational in the concept of obedience-oriented education, uh, theological education, in the mm. mid-70s. And I still have Pete's letters to and from him uh, as they discussed this concept. Um, so we were, yeah, we were busy working with the Dayak people. Uh, we handed over the whole of that church. We were part of a very uh, strong team, really strong team, um, and we handed over that work in early 86 uh, to the mm. National Church. Um, from there, we returned to Australia. Peter pastored a church. He preached on missions. We got caught and <laughs> ended up church planning in Metro Manila in the Philippines mm. um, until I got sick and we had to return to Australia. Um, it took a little while for me to get back and really to come to terms that I, I had not let God down, but he was still trusting me to be involved in helping people meet Jesus and live following him. Hmm. That, that was a deep lesson for me. Um, so for the next 20 years, we pastored churches in Perth and uh, it was a great joy. We were a strong team together. Um, we had fallen over <laughs> the writings of David Garrison. We discovered Garrison's writing on church planting movements and that ignited something deep in us that mm. the big question was, could this happen in suburban Australia? Um, mm. And we, we hadn't fully answered that question when Peter um, was diagnosed with bowel cancer in 2007. Mm. And he would talk about that as his apprehensive adventure <laughs> with Jesus because the, uh, the certainty wasn't there for what was going to happen next. Uh, but he died in November 2012, mm. just as Praxis was being born, which mm -hmm. always intrigues me. As Praxis yeah. became a formal entity, I was on the other side of the country becoming a widow and wondering, Lord, what is my life going to look like now? And mm. I didn't really know. Um, in the weeks before Pete died, he 
I remember him, he looked at me one day and he said to me, I believe you're going to have a very fruitful ministry in the next season of your life. And uh, that was encouraging, uh, but thankfully I wrote it down um, (laughs) because I didn't remember it for for quite a while. And then another day, a couple of weeks later, he um, I was in tears one day because this reality of losing him was very real. And uh, he put his hands on my shoulders, looked into my eyes, and he said to me, grieve for a season, then live again. And I wrote that down too. And 15 Mm. months later, I discovered that in my journal. And it was like a light switch went back on in my heart. Um, Mm. I started, I was already sort of engaging with a group of Nepalis I'd met in a cafe Mm. and was actually running a, a small group for them, with them, in my home. But, but it was after I reread that passage about grieve for a season and live again that really got hold of my heart and I started putting out feelers. Would, would anybody think about um, a widow? At this stage I was uh, 60. Would anybody want someone in that category to work with them? And, uh, you know, I was keen to go overseas but probably needed to be based in Perth because of ageing parents and um, the responsibilities there, but no one. I went to a couple of groups. Nobody was interested. And then I met uh, Dave and Colleen from Praxis, and I remember a very long lunch, Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember just, that very clearly too, yeah. Yeah, just exploring uh, life and ministry and people and making disciples. And, I, you know, I probably walked out on the air, hardly touched the ground. I was so excited to think, I think this might be where God wants me. And so um, I I joined Praxis, yeah, and God in his generous, faithful manner uh, helped me raise a team of supporters, you know, in my old, ultimately my old age. (laughs) And it, it was just Incredible to see people join that team and support me so that I was fully supported and ready for work in uh, just a few months. And wow. it, it wow. was very exciting. And one of the intriguing things is that there are people on that team now who support me financially and prayerfully who were on our original team of supporters way back when we first went to Indonesia, when Pete went in 75, and those people are still faithful. That's it brings such continuity mm. and such a joy to be part of the body of Christ. Mm. It's really cool. It's fantastic, and that's an amazing story. And uh, for for many of us, um, we struggle with a sense of, I guess, hopelessness, or uh, could God use somebody like me? Mm. And you had uh, you had a lot of things going against you, you know. Uh, you're you're hitting sixty. You're you're going through major transition, major grief as well mm. of saying goodbye to Pete, and then the question of is there space for a widow in disciple making, mm. and um, that's that's really profound. I, I clearly remember uh, that lunch with you as we were praying and saying, God, where is the next leader there in WA, and as we met you, 
I remember the Spirit just tapping me on the shoulder very clearly and saying some very clear things about this lady in front of me that I'd never met before. And uh, they've become true. And they're, they're, mm-hmm. it's very real that um, God has got his hand on you, Jill. And, um, uh, yeah, so going through the grief and going through um, that, that real wrestle, tell us a little bit, were there dark times? Were there times where you, where you kind of thought, well, that's it? with my life and I might as well yeah, yeah. absolutely Dave uh, especially the the first I think probably the first 15 to 18 months very dark mm. very dark it was such such a loss to me you know we had dreamed we would be in ministry together till we're into our 70s and mm. um, so all the expectations the hope the the joy of being together had, had just gone and it, it was it was a dark. I, I functioned, hanging on to Jesus, probably by this, you know, the fingernails almost at times. <laughs> but, but sensing His love just wrapped around mm. me, and it was okay to be in that dark place for a season. Mm. But I didn't expect um, that He would just. Snap me out of it as he, as he did, mm. and as uh, I, you know, started to meet with people. I think, in particular, the the Nepali group. So I met these guys in a cafe, and somebody, a girl I knew there, um, said to me, "Oh, you need to talk to the guys in the kitchen. They're believers." I said, "Oh, that's pretty cool." So I pulled one of them aside as she walked past my table one morning and said. Are you followers of Jesus? And she said, yeah. But they had they couldn't go to church anywhere because they all were all rostered on Sundays always. So in my naive boldness, I said to them, well, what day do you have off? <laughs> and it was Tuesdays. And so Tuesdays became meeting day and they all turned up at my place. Hmm. And we would eat and pray and uh, I'd been learning about Discovery Bible Study by that stage, so I'm experimenting like mad. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the girls in the family, a young bride, met Jesus there, mm-hmm. <laughs> there and then, and her husband and a brother-in-law baptized her in the Swan River. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so that had reignited uh, the passion. But, but there was also this edge that it was going to look different. Mm. And I think the Nepali stuff really uh, demonstrated that to me, that it was going to look different. Yeah. Wow. Jill, when you're hanging by a thread <laughs> and it seems like life might have bypassed you and and you're wondering, what are some of the internal things that give people resilience and grit um, to to keep focus or to... I mean, grief is very real, and we don't we don't mm. say you should bypass grief. It's it, no. actually, actually, if you don't have love, you don't have grief. So mm. if you love much, you will grieve much. Mm. So it's an important part of life um, to grieve. But what's what's going on inside of somebody? Because we we see many people face things and crumble, and they can be lost. Um, yeah. Why why were you not lost? I, I think part of it was a, a, a strong commitment to Jesus. I was going to follow Jesus mm-hmm. no matter what. Uh, 
but, but also I'd done some hard learning in the early years in Indonesia. So we were very isolated. Mm. And I remember learning about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it, 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 Paul talks about um, temptation, but the idea is that um, it's not so much to fall into sin, but, but for me that it came as the temptation to give up mm. was, was very real. And, um, you know, sitting in a village carved out of the jungle on the edge of the Kapuas River with no roads or anything, uh, you either went out by boat or you went out by boat. <laughs> and uh, it was, I learnt that God walks with us through stuff and he walks with us through it. He, it it's, there's no trap door to escape. He walks with us through stuff. And there was, uh, I remember a guy called, uh, I think it's Dean Lucan, who was a heavyweight lifter at yeah. the Los Angeles Olympic Games, and he won the gold yeah. medal in heavy, heavyweight lifting. And uh, one of the passages of scripture that I'd read was about him, about um, standing up under the pressure. And I, I often have this image of Dean Lucan standing up under that huge weight mm. and he succeeded. Mm. And he had to train like mad for it and he had to work really hard at it and he had to persevere. Mm. And and that comes back to me many, it has come back many times as I've thought mm. about that that's what it means, that God will be with me and walk mm. with me and and he will allow me to get through things, not to run away. But, but to face stuff, you've got to face it. So I had to face what life without Pete was going to mean. But God was going to get me through it. And I, th- I think that um, really helped me. And, and the fact that he loved me, yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, passages of Scripture, don't be afraid. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. I'm with you. Or, I don't know how many times those verses came, and it was. Um, I, I think I think God did deep work, and I think I'm bolder now <laughs> than I've ever been in my life. <laughs> you know, I find myself doing stuff. And I think how did how did I get the courage to do that? Um, mm. But but I think it's all that basic training <laughs> in standing yeah. up under the pressure and and knowing that God's with me. So knowing, knowing that God was with you, but also a foundational commitment to follow Jesus yep. and God's presence with you mm. through the hard times yeah. and also the comfort of God's love. Um, they're all kind of really important things for us to persevere in hardship. Yeah. It's interesting. I've been um, looking at um, the idea of persecution and and that's another form of difficulty mm. where we need yeah. um to persevere, but most of us want to run away from those hardships when actually probably the answer is to live through mm. the hardship and yeah. not to run and not to fold, but to actually walk through it and to find strength in the midst of it um, yes. is, yeah. is really the key. That's great. And so, you know, you, you had this tra- traumatic uh, time. I never had the privilege of meeting with Peter, even though I feel like I do know him uh, through you, <laughs> and we've had many conversations. And 
And then um, after that, you were selling insurance. No, no, not selling insurance. <laughs> I was looking after the insurance needs for a denomination here, there we go. here in the West. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, that was part of the the prompt to move too because. Um, you know, I've been very generously given that job when Pete was working one day a week and we mm. needed more than that money to live on. Mm. <laughs> and so they gave me this job for four days a week. It was great. I was also writing a Christian newspaper at that stage. Um, but mm. but the insurance job was our bread and butter for those mm. uh, three or three of those years while Pete was sick. And, and it just got to me that I was just doing this. It felt mundane, mm-hmm. calculated, you know, there, there was no space <laughs> mm-hmm. for encouraging people to live for Jesus and uh, to say yes to Jesus, keep saying yes to Jesus. It was, mm-hmm. uh, so show me the pictures of where the rain came in and the ceiling fell down. Uh, and it, there was just this hollowness, I guess, in me and a hankering, a longing to be mm. back involved with helping people say yes mm. to Jesus. Yeah. So you're, you're in this insurance claim claims office handling insurance claims. Your husband just died. You're walking through the process of grief and and but you have a glimmer both through the words of Pete to say up ahead mm. is a fruitful season and 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 then you um um, you then did what? You approached some some other opportunities. You 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 felt before you met us. What were you doing to pursue the dream of what God had called you to do? Well, I, I was thinking about uh, where I could go overseas. Still had strong connections into a people group in Southeast Asia, so I was thinking about that. Uh, and I actually m- approached two mission organisations to see if they would um, have me based in Perth but work internationally as well as being based in Perth. And in 2014, that just was not a possibility at all. Nobody would even look at it. And mm. so I felt sort of stuck a bit, but just saying, Lord, what what do you want me to do? <laughs> Who is it? Mm. Where? And uh, that that's when I met you and, and Colleen. Mm. And and you know we we all look at the Great Commission and we see that the call is to make disciples and the scope is both here and the nations. Mm. And um, you, I think you've found yourself there both. Uh, making disciples locally, but you're thinking globally, uh, uh, global, local, or local global, yeah. or uh, some say glocal, um, <laughs> uh, vision and ministry. It's just been fantastic. Um, what what happened next? What how did you what did you do, and how did it land with you? What took you by surprise? Um, so I I really since the call to jump back in full-time. Mm. And I knew that was going to be a <laughs> um, fairly significant change, uh, no fixed income. And so I applied to join Praxis, and that's, um, yeah, that, that was the beginning. And it was, it's, 
it, it sort of fit that Western Australia was going to be my paddock, you know, where mm. I was going to minister. And initially, you know, thought I'd probably travel more, but uh, as my parents aged, um, that that became less as I was needed more back in Perth. But I, I was um, at one of the churches, a church where I'd been on the pastoral team, I was pastor for missions and children. I went to visit that church one day and a little posse of people came to talk and they said, uh, Jill, can you help us learn to make disciples? Uh, we we mm. think you can help us. And that was the beginning of the mm. first team here in Western Australia. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, I, of course, went to the guy who was then the senior pastor and had a very frank conversation with him. And uh, he, he is very keen for us um, to have a go at mm. making disciples and... Mm. And that that team has blossomed and been fruitful. And from it, another team has started as we're reaching out into the wheat belt, uh, the the country of Western Australia. Um, and and it, it's it's been great. So they're you know standing on their own. We've I'm part of a a team that's working with uh, young mums in the local area. And my only role on that team is to go and be part of the team. But we have really clear steps of what's going to happen when people start to get interested and we're having spiritual conversations. The next step is that somebody from the team will start a Discovery Bible reading group with those those people. And the first one of those groups (laughs) is about to start. So that's... Fantastic. Yeah, so mm. that's only this year, and and now we you know we see the pattern so clearly mm. uh, that it's, it's great. And one of the mums, young mums that you know we've mentored and trained, she will actually be leading that group, and hopefully mm. they'll start next week. Mm. Fantastic. So you have um, I know that there's a number of discovery groups running and a number of teams now running. Ta- take us through some mm. of your teams. Yeah, well, there's there's that team up in the hills. Mm. They, they call themselves the Hills Hub, mm. and they meet for training and support and encouragement um, fairly regularly, at least once a term. And then from that team, another team is being birthed, and there's uh, probably only a couple of people in that now, but mm. we're out prayer walking, out into the wheat belt, into country WA, engaging with people in country towns where populations are decreasing, churches are dying, and mm. people... But there are people who are spiritual people who need need to be part of the kingdom of God. And and so we we firmly believe that Discovery Bible study groups are, are a way to have vibrant spiritual communities, mm. um, whether it be in suburbia or in the country. And those groups need to be able to stand and multiply Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's the dream. That's my vision to see a network of vibrant, multiplying spiritual communities across Western Australia. Fantastic. You know, there are two point six seven million square kilometres in the area of Western Australia, and the population is two point six. No, area is two point six five, and population is two point six six million. <laughs> 
And so this is, you know, this is really high dense living, one person <laughs> per square kilometer. Where else in the world? <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, so that's the the ones out towards the east a little bit, and then. Uh, we were running a training event one day and a, a young woman, youngish woman, came and said to me, I remember I was juggling a large pot of laksa and she said to me, can you help me? I want to make disciples, don't know what to do. I believe God is calling me to, to find Bhutanese people here in Perth and make disciples. And I gently placed the laksa on the table and met Sonia. And so since uh, that day, we've had adventures together in engaging with Bhutanese people here in Perth. There's about 5,000 Bhutanese here. Almost all of them come for tertiary education, postgraduate work, and they're the cream of their nation. Um, And we were prayer walking for a couple of years. We weren't getting any traction anywhere. And then we had the opportunity to go to Bhutan. So Sonia and I went to Bhutan for mm-hmm. <laughs> about a week. And uh, it was wonderful, great experience. Um, we're with a Christian guy. I got to speak in a, a little underground gathering. <laughs> it was incredible. And just to meet people, was it was very special and to pray. Um, and we came back to Perth and we were saying, Lord, will you, will you bring us... Um, some Bhutanese believers because they're insiders. We're outsiders. Mm -hmm. And insiders just do the job so much better, so much quicker. And within three months, I was having coffee with a friend. We'd chatted for a couple of hours. She's about to leave and she says to me, oh, Jill, I forgot to tell you, a young Bhutanese couple turned up at church on Sunday morning. I think you should meet them. What? It didn't take me long to meet them uh, and to introduce them to Sonia, and they were the way in. Uh, so we, now we have a, a team of Bhutanese here mm. in Perth who are reaching Bhutanese, and Son is leading that team, doing a great job, really great job. Uh, and to the point that now we're, we actually had our second international Bhutanese prayer meeting via Zoom on Sunday afternoon, and there were 10 of us online. Several of them were in Bhutan. Mm-hmm. And we we're all praying together for disciples. That, that thrilled my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. So there's that team. And then there's another team of Chinese background uh, people we've done some training with. And they're reaching people. One of them just started a new discovery group this week. Mm. And... It's it's great. It's very exciting, Dave, to see what's happening. And then uh, a bit further south, I, I don't seem to have to hunt widely and deeply. Pe- people come and ask for help. So this week I'm starting with a group of university students to train them uh, in a <laughs> from a church just to the north of Perth. And uh, and then we've got a, another woman who I've known her for a long time. Uh, she rang me one day and said, could you come? So I went down to their place and we talked and she told me about what the Lord was doing in her and through her and how she had been praying for her local area. So uh, who knows quite what's going to happen there, but we have potential to reach out into that region as well. Mm. And then there's the Great Southern where we've got some connections and you know, there's all sorts of places we've never even 
been yet. FIFO worker camps and uh, to the north, you know, Broome. And wouldn't it be great to have a team in Broome or Kununurra or, yeah. So it's a big space and a lot of people uh, and a lot of work to do. And you have your eyes fixed on the nations as well, and multiplying oh, yes. into the nations. So you've got not only yeah. multiple teams, discovery groups, um, and I know behind those is people knowing about Christ, uh, her stories of baptisms and things like that happening. But suddenly, yeah, yeah. what what is the one key area that you've learnt that you didn't know before that you've gone? This is really helpful and key for me as a multiplying leader. What's the one key lesson do you think that that you would love to share with us? Uh, I, I, I don't know quite the term to use, but the idea of pushing leadership out from yourself. Mm. Uh, so entrusting leadership to the next People, the people in the sphere around you and um, trusting that, coaching that, um, encouraging that. Uh, I just see people are just like dry sponges often and, and any encouragement just feeds their souls. Mm. And, and vision, yeah. And then I think boldness, Dave. When I pray, when I pray for people, I constantly asking God to give them boldness and mm. courage mm. to step out, you know, to ask that extra question that will actually get under the skin or under the surface or, or to go and one more time to that food hall or um, to the school drop-off or just one more time. That that could be the time and not, not to be overprotective of ourselves. I mean, we're just mortals, and that's that's okay, <laughs> but but there's a season, and you know the season is now. Let let's do it. Let's be bold. That's great, Jill, because uh, DMM is a, is a multiplying of leadership model, mm-hmm. and and how our roles are to find other leaders who can lead others, yeah. and but in the midst of that, it's a discipleship model of what does it mean to follow Jesus as a leader. And so it's a modelling uh, of that. And uh, also, yeah, you're just talking about um, uh, modelling boldness where God God would just come and just empower us by his spirit and fill us yeah. with boldness. Yeah. And I yep. think the, the, the word I use is being a catalyst, um, being a catalyst of others into their core and their vision, no matter where they're up to. It's been a great conversation, Jill. You've you've filled us with hope and really answered the question of is there hope for someone when it seems like all hope is lost? And God God can use somebody when the season of life seems to stop and he Mm -hmm. can say, I have fresh vision. And uh, also that word from from Peter um, about a season of fruitfulness ahead. Do you think that's been fulfilled or being fulfilled as we talk? Uh, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm sure it is, Dave. I, sometimes I think about that and I smile. Mm. And I think about, you know, the people I've met, the people I've had the privilege of helping them walk with Jesus and say yes to Jesus over and over. It, it, it's such a rich life, Dave. Mm. Widowhood is not, um, it, it's not constricted my life. 
it's actually, it's like a flower coming into full bloom from being a bud. Fantastic. Wonderful. Thank you, Jill. Do you have uh, any last words of encouragement for those that are listening to the podcast, uh, those uh, those who are, are walking it out, trying to learn how to make disciples? And what, what would you say as a final word of encouragement? Uh, I, I think these words, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. You know, that we will be known by how we love people. Jesus told us that. And we will know one another by how we persevere because we're modelled on what Jesus did. And his model of perseverance is way beyond anything he will ask of me, I'm sure. So be bold, <laughs> let your love shine and persevere people. Don't give up.